Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have created everything for your glory. That you have given each one of us purpose and a future. And I thank you, Father God, that you've also revealed yourself to us in unique ways. I thank you for your word. And I ask, Father God, that as we go through the word this morning, that you'd speak to us and transform our hearts, that we would be more like Jesus. Thank you, Father, for this time. In Christ's name, amen. We're continuing the series turning... um, or the the study of the foundation of the Gospels from Genesis. And up to this point, Genesis has been been very broad in its focus. All people, the entire earth, all, all people have been kind of in view. But now God changes directions just a little bit. He becomes very specific. He focuses only on one man, Abraham, or as we meet him for the first time, Abram. The nation of Israel came from Abraham. And God chose Israel to be the people through whom Jesus Christ would be born. And we're going to look at some highlights of the 15 chapters. Thank you, O great woman of God. If I treat her nice, I get lunch. 15 chapters of Genesis are devoted to Abraham. So we're going to start at the beginning of Abraham, and we're going to go through all 15 this morning. You can celebrate with us with the second service and lunch. And So we're only going to be looking at some highlights, and we're going to go through, and there's going to be some sections where I, I, I thought, you know, how am I going to expose or expouse, expose, expouse this this passage, and I realized that the best thing for us is to hear God's Word. So there's going to be some sections where we're going to read the Word together, because that is, that is so powerful, and it helps us to understand exactly what's going on with Abram. We begin with Abram, and we find out that he's a descendant of Noah's oldest son, Shem, and he was born in, in Ur. Ur was an influential, culturally advanced city located on the Euphrates River in in what we would call Iraq today. So you could say that he was an Iraqi. Well, he wouldn't have said that, but we can. His family begins to travel towards Canaan. We We aren't told the exact reasons why, but Abram, his father, Terah, the family, they start towards Canaan. But Terah comes to Haran which is probably his hometown, and, and they stop. And, and Terah chooses to stay with the extended family in Haram. Terah dies there. And that's where we pick this up in Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Now, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. Abram and his family, they were pagans. They were living in a polyistic society. Most likely, they worshipped the moon. That would have been a principal god in Ur. But there were other gods as well. It was very polytheistic, very pagan. And in that, that polytheistic society, God singles out one man, Abram. 
of all the people on the planet Earth, he says, I'm going I'm to go for Abram. And he communicates to him. Verse 2, God says, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. In these couple of verses, we see the first example of Abram's faith. Even though Abram grew up as a pagan, he was able to identify the one true God while surrounded by pagan gods. We don't know exactly how God spoke to Abram. And, and people, I was reading stuff this week, and people go all crazy about, well, he did it this way or he did it that way. That's not the point. God communicated in such a way with Abram that he was able to hear or understand God. And when God spoke to Abram, it was obvious enough for Abram to listen and respond. He had nothing to help him. We have the Bible. We have the indwelling Spirit of God. We have fellowship with other believers. And I wonder why it is so difficult for us to separate the one true God from the false gods and other distractions in our lives. Abram did it with nothing but the Word of God. I also wonder why it seems so difficult to choose to respond immediately to God's direction. We have been given so much by God. And we don't do anything with it. Okay, got off my soapbox here for just a minute. A pagan chooses to do what God says. This is his faith. The author of Hebrews refers specifically to this impressive act of faith. Hebrews 11.8, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. Not knowing where he was going. So not only did God speak to him in such a way that he could, he could be distinguished from all of the other false gods, but God said, go. And Abraham, Abraham said, I'll go. But God didn't say where. He just said, go. He's traveling without knowing the destination. None of us do that. We don't plan a vacation trip and go, yeah, we're just going to get in and drive. We just don't do that. Abram did. This is incredible faith. These verses also establish the foundation of the Abrahamic covenant. God gives Abraham one thing. You do one thing. And God says, if you do that one thing, I will do three things. That's the covenant. If Abraham, if Abram goes, God says he will make you a great nation. That would be a unique nation designed by God. The second thing God will do is, I will bless you. This would be material and spiritual blessing, and we see that in Scripture. The third thing is, I will make your name great. Abram would be famous is what that means. Wouldn't that be great if God came in, you know, and he singles out Dana Penn. Dana was giving me grief earlier, so I'm going to pick on him. He singles Dana out and says, I'm going to make you famous. All of us want to be famous, right? I don't know. The third part of that, 
agreement that God made is, I will make you famous. Well, he did. Abraham, Abram, is celebrated highly in the three major religions, three of the major religions of the world. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. He's famous. So he gets this instruction from God. Abraham leaves Ur. He had no idea where he was going. going. And as soon as he understood what God was saying, he, he, he began packing. As, as soon as he heard what God wanted, he started. Instant obedience. This is why, this is why Abraham is so important to us as an example of faith. Abram is used in the Bible in, in incredible ways. Of all the Old Testament characters, only Moses is mentioned more often than Abram in the New Testament. But there's something unique about Abram. In James 2.23, God describes Abram as his friend. James 2.23 actually says Abram is God's friend. No other person, no other character in the Bible has been given that title. Friend of God. We look at Abram and we have to understand that all believers in every time of history are called the children of Abram. Because Abram's life was such an example of faith. Faith in God. We also know that Abram was not perfect. We sometimes look at these characters, and the two in particular would be Abram and Moses, and we think, man, they, they had everything together. Their life was just so cool. There's no way I could measure up to their life. But he was a sinner. He was a sinner. He made huge mistakes. He lied twice about his relationship to, to Sarai, his wife. He was telling people, no, she's not my wife, she's my sister. And he did it out of his selfishness because he didn't want to have a conflict. He wanted to protect himself while in hostile lands. So he says, no, nah, she's not my wife. Created all kinds of problems, but God watched over them. We also know of Abram's frustration of not having children, which was a massively huge issue at that time in history. So he's frustrated Sarai's frustrated. She gives her servant Hagar to Abram, and Ishmael is born, and we're still living with that example of foolishness, the consequences of what happens when a person tries to do things their own way instead of God's way. He was a sinner like you and I, but yet God identifies him as this incredible man of faith. God shows Abram the promised land. So he's, Abram's left, he's gone, and then God shows him the land. But, but upon arriving there, just, he just barely gets there, and there's a famine, and, and God takes him to, to Egypt to survive the famine. And after the famine, then Abram returns to the land. And that's where we're going to jump forward to. Let's, let's go to Genesis 13, 14, and listen to what, what God says. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. 
Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. God restates the covenant, but he gives a little more detail. He gives the detail of how great this nation is going to be that would come from Abram. Then if we skip ahead to Genesis 15, God ratifies the covenant. This is a fascinating passage. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. So so God has communicated in some way, maybe verbally, we're not sure, but now he's specific that he's communicating in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven, the number... And number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. This is perhaps one of the most important, powerful verses in all of Scripture. He believed the Lord, and he counted it. God counted to him as righteousness. His faith made him righteous in God's eyes. Powerful word. Verse 7. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. So you've got Abram out there, and he's got a carcass, half of a carcass here, and a half of a carcass here. And, 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 and so animals have been slain, and they're laid out. What are we, what's going on? This splitting of animals and then walking between them was a common way people made permanent covenants at the time of Abram. If you were going to buy a piece of land, if you were going to make an agreement with a neighbor, this was a common practice. And the idea was that if you break this, you're going to be, just, you're going to be treated just like these dead carcasses. We're going to agree on these things. So that either of us break the covenant, we will end up dead like these animals. This was a common practice. Verse 12, As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. That's a prophecy of their time in Egypt. Verse 14, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, and for the iniquity of the Amorites is not complete. 
When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. This is, this is a covenant between Abram and God, and not only Abraham, but his descendants. We see this as we go on. Let's skip ahead to chapter 17 because there's a name change that occurs and God, God adds to the covenant. He's, he's adding detail. He's not changing it. He's adding detail. 17 verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offsprings after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generation. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant." Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a, a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. So the name has been changed. The covenant has been given more details. And the covenant has been extended to the next generation, to Isaac. Abraham, in all of these things that we've seen this morning and more 
He is used in several places to teach salvation by faith alone. So there's this huge agreement with God, this covenant. But Abraham becomes this permanent biblical illustration of righteousness that comes by faith. Incredible faith. Trusting what God has said. Abraham was an Old Testament character who was saved before the law was given. This is a very important point. There was no law. Abraham responded by faith and was saved. He becomes that illustration then of righteousness by faith. The entire fourth chapter of Romans is devoted to illustrating justification by faith by using the life of Abraham. Paul quotes Genesis 15 in, in Romans 4.3. Does this sound familiar? So this is Paul quoting Genesis. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Simple. Abraham's faith in God was sufficient for God to declare him righteous. Abraham did nothing to earn justification. Paul chooses Abraham to illustrate that God grants righteousness to those who have not earned it. It's grace. Salvation is by grace alone. We put our faith in God. God gives us something we do not deserve. Abraham also, this, this man, his life also teaches us that saving faith is not based on heredity. He wasn't saved because daddy went to church. Daddy did go to church. It was just to the church of the moon god. It's not enough to be physically a descendant of Abraham either. The New Testament teaches that. Salvation is based on each individual's faith in the work of Christ. Being raised in a Christian home will not save you. Attending church with your parents will not save you. As a pastor, there's many times I've talked with people in the church that are struggling. And they're struggling because, from my perspective, they, there's a good, strong possibility they're not saved. Why, why do you think you're saved? Because I went to church with mom and dad my entire life. But they don't get it. They don't understand that relationship with Christ. They don't have the, the, the underpinnings of actually being saved. What they have is a heredity. I am saved because mom and dad drugged me to church. They're drugs. They're drugged. They're drug addicts. They're not saved. Just showing up at a building doesn't get you saved. Each person is saved by their individual faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, you can say, well, Abram, he wasn't doing that. Well, in, a, in, a, in an essence, he was because he was looking forward. He was understanding what God said. God said, go do this, and I'm going to create a nation. And Abram went, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust whatever you say. That's what causes Abram to be saved. Same thing. We look at what God has said. We look at what God has revealed, and we trust that. 
Abraham's life illustrates that salvation also brings separation from the world system. Salvation changes the heart, and there is a total willingness to leave everything behind that is not pleasing to God. And this is where it gets difficult for us. We're pilgrims. So in, in a way, we're just like Abraham because we're traveling. We're, we're, we're pilgrims. We're passing through this time and this place. Passing through the world, looking forward to the great, amazing, wonderful future that we have in Christ. We very often say, I don't know what you want me to do. I know that you want me to do something. And I'm willing to leave my old life behind. And I'm willing to live a new life that glorifies you. We very often, I had a conversation with somebody this week, and, and we both agreed that it would be so nice to go out to the mailbox and get this glowing envelope. It's just, it's just pulsating with rays of light, and, and there's this inscription on it, To William. That's actually my name. You, to William. And it's written in gold. And you open it up and and there is a list of, here's what I want you to do in specifics. You know, down to the minute, I want you to do this now. And then you're going to do this. And it's all written in gold. And it just, it's just, it nearly just vibrates in your hands because it's right from the throne of God, right? And And then we know exactly what he wants us to do. God doesn't do that. He just says, be mine. And go. And our response needs to be, yes, sir, I'm going to go because I love you and you are God. Giving up our old life is, is an incredibly difficult obstacle to coming to Christ. But our old life is also a major, if not the major hurdle to faithfully living for Christ once we're saved. We keep wanting to live in the casket, if you will. We, we keep wanting to be there where, we're, where, where death was. Instead of just going, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow you, God. I don't know where you're going. That's okay, because I know you will be there with me, and I trust you. This is why Paul, I think, gives us this incredible assurance in 2 Corinthians 5.17. I love this verse. Therefore, if any man or woman is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Let's live in the new things. And let's just throw all the other stuff aside and go, I'm going to trust you. I can't see where you're going. I don't have to know where you're going because I trust you. That's my new life. New things have come. Let's live there. Father, I thank you for the example of Abram, who you changed a name to Abraham, who you gave a promise of a great nation and and descendants. When descendants looked like an impossibility, I thank you that you have shown us in in this great man that you are a God of possibilities and you are a God of strength and purpose and that you have a plan and that we can put our total and complete faith and trust in you.
Holy Spirit, stir us up that our rejoicing and our thrill of life would be to know that we belong to God and He loves us. Thank you, Father, for the work of Your Son that has caused us to be able to come into Your presence and be seen as righteous in Your eyes. In His name, amen. Stand with us and sing the last song.